Hi all and welcome to the Real Deal Film Talk podcast. I'm your host Paul Whelan and this is the show. The reason I have started this podcast is a simple one. I love film. I've always loved film and I'm truly fascinated by all aspects of the filmmaking process. I myself have a degree in film. I've worked on many sets. Also, I have written and directed a number of short films. And now I wish to share my love and adulation for the craft that is film. But in this podcast, I will look to talk through the many facets of the film industry, chat about a variety of different films, what it took for them to be made, inside stories from cast and crew, and shed a light on many other things all involved with film. So sit back, relax, and let's get to it. So to kick things off, I think it's only fitting given the time of year I start off with one of my favorite genres, horror. Although a favor of so many, a lot of people may not be aware of the vast and interesting life the horror genre has enjoyed since its inception. So I want to go back all the way to the start and share some insight into the genre and show how the groundwork that was put in place at the beginning is still relevant to this day. Horror has been around a long time, going back to the 18th century, but then it came in the form of gothic novels. The Castle of Otranto by Horace Walpole is considered to be the very first horror story written all the way back in 1764. Although I have not read this, I've heard it's a very good story. Writer-director Guillermo del Toro has said previously that the Castle of Otranto inspired his film, Crimson Peak. So any fans of that director or any fans of the film might want to check out the book. We then have the creations of Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley. Stoker of course created Dracula, one of the most iconic characters in all of cinema, that he based on the very real acts of Vlad the Impaler who ruled in modern Romania. Vlad was also known as Vlad Dracul and Shelley's creation Frankenstein could also be considered a very early example of sci-fi. Both of these characters have contributed to no end a vast amount of horror films whether they are direct adaptations like Bram Stoker's Dracula directed by Francis Ford Coppola starring Gary Oldman. I've only recently rewatched this film and I have to say uh it still it still holds up today um some brilliant performances in it gary oldman's amazing as usual um you have winona Ryder playing dual roles as mina and elisabetta who was the original love of dracula and you have keanu reeves uh rather boldly playing um jonathan harker the english um solicitor who was sent to transylvania to finalize the property deals for dracula and Keanu even has a British accent in it, which uh, makes for quite an interesting viewing. Um, the movie is not PG, and I would definitely not recommend watching it with your family members because it's uh, it could make some awkward viewing if you're watching it with your parents. It's a uh, really amp up the sexuality of the story, and it's so you know maybe maybe don't watch that one with your family. Um, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein movie, um, directed and starring Kenneth Branagh, also had huge star power in it. You had 
Kenneth Branagh. Um, you had Helen and Bonner Carter. And you also had Robert De Niro playing the monster. So that's uh, shows even the star power behind these horror films. interestingly Dracula actually made his cinematic debut in a film called Nosferatu all the way back in 1922. It was a hugely influential horror film from Germany made during their golden era of cinema called German Expressionism and even before you had Nosferatu you had the film The Gollum which was based on Frankenstein. But I'll talk more about German Expressionism in a different episode. I think it's time to go back to the history of horror. Cinema originated in a Parisian cafe in 1895 when the two Lumiere brothers debuted their home videos to a packed cafe it both shocked and enthralled the audience. The films they showed were only about 30 seconds long and they involved people leaving a factory after work, one of the brothers feeding their child, but one of the short films terrified the audience and this was called Arrival of a Train. This movie literally just showed a train arriving at the station, but this sent the crowd wild. Imagine, there was no such thing as a moving image. You've never seen a film. You've never seen video before. And then suddenly you're seeing moving pictures. And then you witness a train coming right at you. It must have been the most surreal experience of those people's lives. Just a year later, magician turned director George Millet released his supernatural short film, The Manoir du Diablo, or The House of the Devil, if you don't speak French, which I don't. Millet used his experience as a magician to create some spectacular set pieces, most of which you will still find in any supernatural film made today. But he was doing this to great effect back in 1896, which is just truly incredible. Like some of the set pieces he pioneered in this film included teleportation, conjuring, objects moving by themselves, transformations. He even showed a change from a beautiful young woman into a really old, ugly woman. This like specific set piece has been used famously by many people, probably most notably Stanley Kubrick in The Shining. George Millet was a true visionary. He created so much of what we now take for granted in cinema. Not only did he help develop the notable set pieces of horror, he could also have been seen as the creator of the sci-fi genre with his film Le Voyager, de la lune or a trip to the moon in 1902 the story of a trip to the moon involves astronomers leaving earth via rocket ship for an expedition to the moon and while on the moon they are attacked by aliens this again is a story that seems so familiar Yet, this was in 1902. Mankind didn't land on the moon until 1969, 67 years later. So, it's truly incredible how far ahead George Millet was.
unfortunately though when um, George Malay died he actually died broke he uh, went back to being a magician instead of making films because he had contract complications with the studios he was working with back in France um, they actually terminated his contract or he terminated his contract even um, which is a sad end for such a visionary of the film uh, of filmmaking uh, but on a brighter note his work has resurfaced it's over a hundred of his films have recently been uh, remastered and he's kind of getting a second life now a lot of people in the film industry and all are showing brand new appreciation for what a genius he was so that's uh that's a good end to that story i suppose and although we had people like um george malay who really pioneered so much within the horror genre Horror enjoyed its most popular stint in the early 20th century with both Germany and the USA producing classics. Uh, Germany through their uh, film movement called German Expressionism, which I've talked about before. And then Hollywood started producing classics like The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Phantom of the Opera in the 1920s. But the real golden era for the genre came in the 1930s, especially with the production company Universal. Um, Universal and their monster movies. Universal and their monster movies saw an unprecedented level of success. Uh, films like Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, and The Invisible Man demonstrated that horror was a popular genre, and more importantly, for the studios, a big money maker. And to illustrate this point even further of how big a money maker was for Universal Studios. Universal are actually now in the process of relaunching their whole monster movies um, world. You may have heard of The Mummy, not the Brendan Fraser film, but the one starring Tom Cruise that was released uh, recently. It didn't do so well, but it did open the door for the rest of the movies to follow. So we had The Invisible Man, uh, that was released just before uh, COVID and lockdown. And that did pretty well. Uh, a lot of critics and stuff like that liked that. And then we have Ryan Gosling, who is set to play the Wolfman in the new version of that movie. Um, Ryan Gosling is said to have quite a bit of input into the film and he wants to make it dark. So fans should look forward to that. Uh, he also has quite a good track record when it comes to making films. So it should be definitely an interesting take. And I'm sure following The Wolfman, we'll have the likes of Dracula and Frankenstein, things like that making a return once Universal kind of gauge how, how successful the movies are going and whether they want to still pursue relaunching the whole Universal Monsters world. Unfortunately though, for the horror genre, the 1940s it kind of went stale after all the huge success i had in the 1930s the 1940s was just very bland you had all these weird strange crossovers uh, the abbott and costello mix of horror and comedy it was just weird comedy uh, mashups with these horror legends and it just really didn't work and it just 
it did do a bit of damage to the horror genre at the time but then when you get to the 1950s you know the genre became fresh again i had started having original ideas again and this kind of came down to what was going on in the world at the at that moment in time as films always reflect their time uh horror as a genre is actually usually very much ahead of the curve but you had you had the breakout of the cold war and with the breakout of the cold war there was a lot of unrest especially in america america had this whole do you know who your neighbors truly are they could be a spy um type thing like do you know who you're sharing your street with do you know who do you know really truly know the people around you it was all a very suspicious time in america and also in in russia i would suppose but this was reflected in the films that were made you had movies like um like invasion of the body snatchers uh, a great film uh, it's one of my favorite films uh the thing from another world all of these horror films started to um started coming at it from a suspicion angle it was all about people's bodies being controlled things coming from foreign lands and infiltrating your neighborhood your neighbor your family uh your community and that was part and parcel with what was going on in america and the 50s showed some really cool um examples of this and it was really interesting time for uh for horror start you started getting the kind of the mix between the suspicion kind of horror and you started also getting sci-fi mixing into horror as well with a lot of things coming from from space and from different worlds and stuff like that so that was always really cool then when we get into the 1960s that would be a, a watershed moment for the horror genre uh, some of the most iconic horror movies ever would be created films like psycho and rosemary's baby would be hugely effective on important films they still remain crowd favorites to this day and they still influence and inspire so many filmmakers so many fans of cinema and they are go-to films for horror genre uh, fans they regularly watch psycho and rosemary's baby when it comes up to halloween time and stuff like that um what the, the 60s did was they took elements of what previous decades offered but it turned it up a notch um psycho uh by alfred hitchcock really broke the mold uh there were things done in psycho that were never done before in cinema and i'll do a full episode on psycho because it, it's worthy of having its own episode so i'll de- delve deeper into that but for this uh podcast i will talk briefly about it psycho was so different so ahead of its time you have incredible performances in psycho um anthony perkins as norman bates the seems to be even tempered motel operator uh yet he plays it with 
kind of a mix of you know um boyish charm but also there's something underlying there's something more sinister beneath the surface and you only kind of pick up on that when you watch the scene between Norman Bates and Marion Crane uh, played by Janet Lee um, when they're having a sandwich and they discuss Norman's mother really the subtleties of his performance come out so vividly in that and it was just it's still chilling to watch to this day and then Rosemary's Baby just has such far-reaching themes of maternity still a movie that works on so many levels and these these movies built upon the previous decades they really amped up uh, on what previous decades had done they really it's like what can we show what can we do what can we get away with and they pushed the envelope and there was a lot of pushback but those films were incredible and still are to this day probably because of how far they pushed the envelope the 1970s then would take what the 60s offered and multiply it by a thousand giving us some of the most graphic and extreme horror films ever a whole new generation of directors would begin to emerge and shape the landscape of horror and cinema in their own image um, you had directors like John Carpenter, Wes Craven, Tobe Hooper, uh, just to name a few who all began their careers in the 1970s and really changed the outlook of horror, definitely, and cinema as well. And a lot of these direct directors were really heavily influenced by what was going on in America at the time. A lot of them were influenced by the Vietnam War uh, about um, the protesting about everything that was going on in American life and like I said with the 1950s horror it finds its way into films and it the emotions and the thoughts and the feelings of what's going on in the general public feeds into art and it feeds into horror especially and those things come to the forefront um you'd see in the 70s the 70s was the beginning of the final girl cliche which is now just so famous within horror if you're not familiar the final girl is basically a, a trope a cliche that is used in horror films where whereby the protagonist is uh a girl obviously uh, a girl who uses their cunning uh, intelligence their their aptitude and their bravery to not only survive but to defeat the tormentor of a film examples like this include uh, Sally Hardesty in um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre which is the very first final girl probably the most famous example of this is Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode in the Halloween franchise Jamie Lee Curtis is actually the daughter of Janet Lee, the star of Psycho, which is interesting that her mother started off basically as a scream queen and then her daughter goes on to become possibly the most famous scream queen ever. But that was the start, horror was really starting to kind of find its 
find its feet now it was really becoming so strong he had some really extreme movies like the last house on the left or the hills have eyes or i spit on your grave some really graphic horror films there and then you have the likes of halloween that was just so loved and still is by horror fans in fact i'm actually watching it this halloween night um, then you had you know the exorcist uh, you had jaws which a lot probably won't consider a horror film but i definitely would consider a horror film as i don't think any other film invokes the sense of terror and dread in everyday life that jaws did to many generations anyone who has seen jaws when they were young definitely thinks anytime they're in the ocean i know there's not a shark but okay there might be a shark in fact even um i remember my sister telling me that when she was a child after seeing jaws she was afraid to go to the bathroom she was afraid to have baths because she thought a shark was gonna get her which is pretty hilarious um but the 70s didn't only just give us you know the final girl cliche it didn't give us some the biggest movies ever the exorcist jaws halloween it also gave us some of the best theme music ever the theme music from jaws is so famous and so loved the theme music from the exorcist the theme music from uh halloween it was definitely an epic um, decade for horror just everything seemed to kind of hit the mark The 80s would show how popular horror was, but it kind of ran into the same issues that the 1940s had. You did have A Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger, and you had Friday the 13th with Jason. Two absolute icons of horror, probably the two most famous uh, icons of horror. I mean, when someone says horror, uh, you think freddy krueger with his glove or you think jason and the hockey mask so they did offer us that but largely the genre would kind of stall like it did in the 1940s you'd get a lot of sequels and prequels and reimaginings and stuff like this um it had it did have originality but also had a lot of a lot of unoriginal ideas too one thing the 80s did have for horror was that it took horror absolutely global and if you don't know what i'm talking about i'm talking about of course thriller so the most famous album of all time greatest selling album of all time was marketed and sold using horror michael jackson thriller that album launched him into superstardom and he had a lot of horror elements kind of within some of the songs and even his later songs and stuff like that had horror elements but thriller that short video that he did for that blew people's minds there was actually like premieres of it like bars and stuff were showing thriller and they're advertising we are showing the thriller video tonight and that took horror from the cinema screen to tv to mtv 
to the airwaves, it took it everywhere. Thriller still loved and people do the dance every year and you can't turn on the radio on Halloween without hearing Thriller. Um, so that is something that that the 80s did really offer in horror as well as some of the most iconic faces in horror. Um, but you still had kind of a whole lot of nothing as well. And the slasher kind of died away and it wasn't until the 90s that the slasher came back with a bang and that was Wes Craven with his film Scream. Scream kind of revitalized uh, the horror genre in the 90s. I did go a bit stale with all of the well the sequels and stuff like that you even had Freddy Krueger rapping and stuff like that and you know it just it just went very dull. But Scream kind of shook people. It kind of, it kind of was like, you know, hold on, we could still do something here, and it, it revitalized the horror genre and it revitalized uh, the slasher as well. And it was really bold move as well. Um, Drew Barrymore, who was a huge star, um, starring in ET when she was a kid, and you know, going on to do loads of other films and stuff. But she signed on to Scream as the star her faces the the poster everything drew barrymore was 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 set up to be the star of that movie but she actually came to wes craven and just said no this girl at the start the opening of the movie that scene that death i want that and you you go to see scream thinking drew barrymore is going to be the star and within the opening 10 minutes she's gone and that that was a really bold move but it has been done again it was done in Psycho so it's a tried and tested uh, formula it could have backfired but it was worth the risk and it paid off massively and Scream went on to launch a very successful series and they're actually planning on doing a fifth one now where I know uh, a lot of the casts of the original uh, movies have already agreed to kind of return but unfortunately Wes Craven will not be involved um, because he has died um, a couple of years ago so it'll be interesting to see how it goes but it'd be tough without Wes Craven there. It will see in horror always happens it seems like it's going away it seems like it's dying or it's boring or it's dull or it's all been done and then something comes out of the blue and kind of just re-energizes it and then people jump to it you know you had the same you had the same effect with say the Blair Witch Project in 1999 that was a huge movie that that did so well and they even like the 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 promotion that they used for that was crazy so they actually what they did for that the if you don't know the story of the Blair Witch Project this uh, three students go into this forest to kind of document um, this haunted forest where there's supposed to be a witch and then all this weird stuff starts happening around them it's found camera footage um, style but it's really really effective film but for the promotion what they actually did was they 
actually put the actors' faces on milk cartons in America where the missing persons thing. And people thought that this was real. Like when it came out and it was found footage and then the people were on the milk cartons and the, the way that they promoted that movie, people genuinely thought it was real. And that's so good. So that's even a tip there for, I don't say putting your face on missing cartons because it's kind of a weird way to do it. But it was so effective. It was, so, it was just what, such a creative way to promote the movie. And the movie became a huge success. Um, then in the 2000s, you had Paranormal Activity, another kind of found footage film. But that kind of revitalized the, uh, the supernatural horror film. And within that, then after Paranormal Activity, then you had the likes of, you know, Sinister. You had the likes of Insidious, a lot of other supernatural films, a lot of you know B-grade movies, but a lot of big ones that did well. Then you had like The Conjuring, and The Conjuring was really big when that came out. And thereafter, launching you know The Conjuring Two, which was very good, um, very well received. And then they're making the third Conjuring film now, but they also split off now into a Conjuring universe where you had the Nun and uh, Annabelle and Annabelle uh, just beginning and all these kind of stories um, and they're kind of going the universal route now they've, they've, they've got their own thing going on um, and even like more more recently you have Hereditary and uh, Midsummer uh, by Ari Aster and his his stuff is, is interesting he's kind of bringing back the the uh, shock and gore uh, value to horror not in the same way that you've seen with like Saw or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything like that but he's bringing it back in a way that's, that's very kind of unsettling but the popularity of horror just seems to never die when it seems like it's getting stale and stagnant something comes and just shoots it back to life and it just, it just keeps on going it keeps on surviving and thriving the trend of horror movies is set to continue and then when we feel like it's gonna be a bit dull and it's getting a bit boring and predictable and sequels and prequels and this that and the other boom something else comes something else comes and then we're back again and then it's new stuff new stuff new stuff new stuff and it just follows that trend and it's great well that's the podcast and I just want to thank you all very much for listening I hope you found it insightful I hope you learned a little bit about the history of horror I know it was kind of brief but I will go into more detail on more subjects and uh, more films on other episodes so I didn't want to give too much away um, if you enjoyed it please um, follow and please like and share uh, also you can find me on real deal film talk on instagram i'll leave you with a quote from horror legend stephen king quote we make up horrors to deal with the real ones unquote so as long as horrors exist in real life in the real world we will have new horror to enjoy in cinema i'm your host paul whelan this has been the real deal film talk thank you for listening Mm